Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look fantastic. Now turn to the other side and say, how about you taking me to lunch? It is so great to see you guys. Angie and I consider Life Church our home church away from home, and so uh, we love coming here. We love being here, and uh, it's just such an honor to be here today. Before I speak about uh, Convoy of Hope and what God's put on my heart this morning, I want to just throw something out there for you to consider. So there was some research that was done recently where these professors, I believe it was at Fresno State, um, were researching pandemics prior to 1918. And they discovered that a pandemic at that time never lasted more than three or four months. The reason was, two reasons really. One was there were no medications whatsoever, so you either lived or died. The second was people didn't travel to other countries or other states. They weren't mobile like that. And so to think that we have now been in a global pandemic for 19 months the challenges that that places on the leader of an organization, it's never been done in recorded history. So Pastor Aaron gets emails that say, if you make me wear a mask, we're leaving. If you don't have people put on masks, we're leaving. The, I can't believe you're not saying this. Or, the challenges of leading an organization in this period of time, the longest time a global pandemic has ever lasted, is unprecedented. And so what I would love for you to do is to get your Packer and Brewers whistles and claps out and give the greatest round of applause for your senior pastor and his wife, for Pastor Aaron and Tammy, and the leadership they've shown during this most difficult time. Yeah, that's it. Fabulous leaders. And so please continue. I know this is Pastor Appreciation Month, so continue to show your love and appreciation for them and let them know how much you care about them and how special they are to you. Pastor Aaron uh, is on the boards of universities. He's the chairman of the board at Convoy of Hope. There are global entities that have asked him to serve on boards to give his insight and wisdom. And you guys get to have him as your pastor. So, uh, Pastor Aaron and Tammy, we love and salute you guys. All right, so I've used most of my time now, so we'll go into conclusion. Uh, now, I have a question for you this morning, and I want you, you obviously have had some caffeine this morning because the whistles were phenomenal. Um, and I want you to be able to talk back to me, feedback, talk to each other, raise your hand. I want this to be very interactive this morning because we're talking about this idea of why should we care about the poor? And uh, before we go into that, I want to ask you four questions. You can raise your hand. You can say, yep, whatever you're comfortable with. But these are not trick questions. I'm just putting this information out. Are you with me? You good with this? Right on. Question number one. How many of you would like to have a relatively happy life? These aren't trick questions, okay? All right, question number two. How many of you would like for your life to be an act of worship? Okay, even, actually, that percentage went up. Only a few people wanted to have a happy life. Now, their life being an act of worship, this one's really gonna go up. How many of you would like to keep a personally reasonable financial portfolio? Yeah, I told you that one was going to grow. 
And number four, how many of you would be thankful if God listened to your cries for help? (laughs) Whoa, somebody went with two hands on that one. Yeah, so I know that this church is founded on the authority of Scripture. And I know that Pastor Aaron is a fabulous teacher. We've been friends for over 30 years. He listened in class. I didn't. That's why he has a doctorate. And and he teaches God's word. He's a fabulous teacher, but he brings God's word. And he, I know that this church knows that God's word is ultimate authority, that it stands the test of time, and that we don't add or take away from it. Amen? Are you with me? So because I know that's what this church's foundation is, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today because what I say really doesn't matter. But what God says, buddy, we better get on the stick. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about. And God's word has something specifically to say about the four questions that I proposed to you already this morning. So question number one, how many of you would like to have a relatively happy life? Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 21 says it like this. Should be on the screen for you. If you want to be happy, what? Okay, when I say what, that means go ahead and read along. All right, here we go. If you want to be happy, be kind to the poor. It is a sin to despise anyone. I mean, you know, anyone's kind of a broad category. It's a sin to despise anyone. How many of you ever seen somebody on the side of your road and you're like, eh, I don't know about that guy? Yeah. For those of you who are not raising your hand, the Lord will forgive you later on today. We've all seen somebody and we just looked at them and kind of like, ah, I don't know about that person. It's a sin to despise anyone. Several years ago, I pastored for 28 years. I was in a staff meeting and uh, we used to have these brainstorming sessions where we'd kind of have um, a creative think tank. And so I said, hey, I want anybody to throw out a crazy idea. It has to be outside of the box. We're going to see if we can implement it. Okay. And uh, how many of you know youth pastors are just a little off center? That's why we love them. So my youth pastor speaks up. He goes, I got an idea. He's like, why don't we gather all the prostitutes in Cincinnati and throw a big Christmas party for them somewhere? And I was like, that is a fantastic idea. So we worked with this ministry who had already been trying to minister to these ladies and uh, give them hope and an opportunity and let them know they were loved and cared for. So we gathered them all together. We rented a room in downtown Cincinnati. We catered in a meal. We had uh, Christmas presents for them. There were about 24 that joined us for the party, and it was amazing. I know this sounds like the beginning of some terrible joke. We got two pastors and 24 prostitutes But this was incredible what happened. So we're having lunch with them. We've given them their presence. Then we got in a big circle, and I said, I just, would you guys let me pray for you? Absolutely. So I pray a prayer for them. When I get done, one of the ladies says, um, I said, is there anything else that I could do for you? And this lady says, yeah, I've got something. I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she said, "Um, could I have a hug? And I was like, wow. So I looked at my youth pastor, and I'm like, we're in a big open room. Everybody's watching here. I'm going to go give this lady a hug. So I go give her a hug. And when I hugged her, I said, Merry Christmas. And when I backed away, she said out loud to everyone in the room, hey, I just want you guys to know that's probably 
the first hug that I have ever had from a man in my life who didn't want something in return. When we reach out to the least, the last, and the lost, that puts a smile on God the Father's face. When we love people when they least expect it, and maybe even at times least deserve it, it radically changes their life. God smiles on that. God favors that. God leans into that. Amen. Thank you. So here's the opening thought. If you want to take some notes this morning, that's great. Uh, If you don't, you can draw a picture of me, whatever you're comfortable with. Here's the opening thought. Happiness is directly connected to how we treat the least, the last, and the lost. Not only had we given them Christmas presents, but more importantly, we gave them hope. And let me encourage you today as a church family here at Life, Life Church, give away hope. Everywhere you go, give away hope. I would say it like this. In this area of town, I would encourage every one of you to be hope dealers. Not dope dealers, but hope dealers. You're just giving hope away at every corner, letting people know that they are loved and that God has a purpose for their life. Be somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. Life Church, can you commit to do that? Be somebody who makes everybody feel like a somebody. Question number two. How many would like for your life to be an act of worship? Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 31, God's word says this. If you oppress or what? Let's try this again. If you oppress or mistreat poor people, you insult the God who made them. But what? Kindness shown to the poor is what? It's an act of worship. Meeting the needs of of the poor and giving with hearts of radical generosity is absolutely an act of worship. Some of you think that an act of worship is just raising your hands during your favorite worship song. That is a part of it, but this clearly says that giving to the poor and meeting the needs of those who are suffering is an act of worship before God. In the Old Testament, it was called almsgiving. It was simply meeting a material need for someone less fortunate than you. God incorporated this into the Mosaic law when he ordered landowners to leave the corners of their fields for the poor. When you give to the poor, ladies and gentlemen, it is an act of worship unto God, plain and simple. Question number three. How many of you would like to keep a reasonably solid financial portfolio? We had 100% participation on this one. But let's look to God's word. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 27 says this. Giving to the poor will keep you from what? Poverty. But if you close your eyes to their needs, everyone will curse you. Isn't it crazy, crazy that once scripture makes us aware of something, we can't unsee it or unread it? How many of you ever read something in the Bible and when you got through it, you're like, oh, shoot, I wish I would have never read that. Somewhere in the love your enemies portion. There are parts of God's word that are just hard to embrace because it's calling us to our highest and best. 
but it doesn't negate the fact that it's God's word, that it's absolute truth, and it's how he desires us to follow him. Please don't close your eyes to the needs around you. A few months ago, two typhoons hit the Philippines. We have multiple feeding programs in the Philippines. And within 48 hours, one million people were displaced. Two weeks after that, in both Honduras and Nicaragua, where we have multiple feeding programs with our children, over 800,000 people were displaced. Psalm chapter 82 and verse 4 says, Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. What does it mean to rescue? For 19 years, I served as the chaplain of the fire department in the city where our church was. I did all of the DOA announcements to families who lost loved ones. Rescue means whatever it takes. When God is asking us to meet the needs of the poor and the suffering, when God is asking us to help the least, the last, and the lost, it literally means that rescue effort has to be a whatever-it-takes kind of concept. How many of you have ever been to the mall with small children? Anybody raise your hands, you know? Maybe you got three kids. We had three kids, and we're walking around the mall, and You know, in like 13 seconds, one of your kids is gone. You have no idea where they are. They could be under, you know, the skirts in the women's department. You don't know where they are, but you've lost a kid. Anybody ever had this experience at the mall? Yeah. When you're at the mall and and one of your kids is missing, no parent would go, you know what? I've got two others. This really isn't that big of a deal. No one does that. God wants us to view those who are outside of his family like that child. It's a rescue effort. It's a whatever it takes. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 25 says, be generous and you will be what? Prosperous. You know what? They never get enough credit. Would you put your hands together for the tech booth? Those people are killing it back there. You only notice them when the slide doesn't come up, but all of them that are up, you ignore them. These are amazing people. Be generous and you will be what? Prosperous. Help others and what happens? You will be helped. Ladies and gentlemen, we are blessed to be a blessing. Did you know that if you slept in a bed last night and you got up this morning and opened a refrigerator that had some food in there, and you came to this campus this morning in some form of transportation, that places you in the top 1% wealth of the world. That's mind-blowing. It's hard to wrap your mind around that, but that is the truth. We are blessed to be a blessing. And God is saying here, God is basically saying, if you take care of my children, I'll take care of your children. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9 says, blessed are those who are generous because they what? They feed the poor. Number four, how many of you would be grateful if God listened to your cries for help? How many of you have ever been desperate enough to just say, God, please help? Please help. 
Scripture has a profound statement about this. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 13, it says, If you refuse to listen to the cry of the poor, your own cry for help will not be heard. How many of you read this verse? Could you guys leave that up there just for a moment? When you read this verse, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure what they're saying there. No one. Because God's word is crystal clear about this. If you refuse to listen to the cry for the poor, your own cry for help will not be heard. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that position. How many of you would love for God to hear your cries for help? You don't want to be in that position. Listening to others emphasizes their value. When you listen to someone, you're saying, you matter to me. 22,000 children die every single day of dirty water or hunger-related issues. You can't unhear that. 22,000 children a day. Check this out. 750 million people around the world live on less than $1.90 a day. This problem is as old as time. In the first century church, they were asking the same questions to the apostle John. It's recorded in Luke chapter 3. The crowd asked, what should we do? And John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food to share, share it with those who are hungry. Once again, is there anybody who's having any difficulty reading these scriptures wondering what that actually means? God's word is absolute truth. It's what we drive a stake in as our foundation, and it's what will stand the test of time. Proverbs 19, 17 says, caring for the poor is lending to the Lord, and you will be well repaid. Can you even fathom the concept of lending to the Lord? How many of you are aware that God owns everything? It's all his. We are a temporary manager of the resources he has given us, but everything we have is because of him. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Newsflash, he owns the hills under the cattle as well. It's all his. Every good and perfect gift that you have comes from the Father. All of your resources, everything that you possess is a gift from God. <clears throat> so grateful this sister has caught this concept. For the rest of you, everything you have is from God. Everything. You may be sitting there going, well, you don't know how well I do my job. Who gave you your brain? Everything we have is because of God's goodness and his grace and his favor and his kindness. Albert Einstein said, the world is a dangerous place not because of those who do evil, but because of those who look on and do nothing. We must treat the poor with dignity. In 1986, I went on my very first mission trip to Caracas, Venezuela. How many of you remember 1986? Yeah, Top Gun came out. 
I went and saw that movie and then left there and went to the barber and got a flat top, got my head shaved. Looked ridiculous. It's a terrible move. 19, how many of you weren't born in 1986? Yeah, there we go. You just made me feel terrible. Thank you. 1986, my first mission trip to Caracas, Venezuela. I get the opportunity to preach my very first sermon. I'm 15 years old. Guess what I preached on? John 3.16. It's the only verse I knew in the Bible. Oh, come on, like you knew more than that when you were 15. Right. But check this out. It's profound. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. The greatest expression of love is giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. I preached this first, first, first sermon in, in Crocus, Venezuela in 1986. It was a life-changing experience for me. Now, fast forward the clock all the way to 2018. Crazy things are happening. The country of Venezuela is completely imploded. There's no food. There are no resources. The boulevard is worth nothing. There are no jobs. There's no opportunity. Since 2018, 25% of the entire population of Venezuela has fled and left. Basically, what is left right now are women and children. These women are left as they are leaving Venezuela to cross the border to Colombia. They usually have a baby strapped to their chest. They're holding the hands of toddlers on either hand, and they're, they're walking because they're hoping they can find food and opportunity in Colombia. When you leave the country of Venezuela, there's a concrete bridge at the border and at the end of this border, there's an umbrella. It's a red awning, kind of an umbrella thing at the end of this concrete bridge. That's an actual picture of it. One of our assets on the ground took that for us. These women who are walking with their babies and children who have nothing, have beautiful, thick black hair. When they walk across this border bridge, they will go under that umbrella and sit down. If you do not speak Spanish, what that cardboard sign says is we buy hair. Women will sit down in that chair, have all of their hair cut off, and sell it so that they might buy their child one more meal. Think about that. When our team at Convoy found out about this, we said not on our watch. We reconnected with the missionary that I actually started working with in 1986. He is still there on the border. They are tethered to the local church. We are meeting the needs of people. And since then, we have now ministered to over 2 million Venezuelan refugees and have provided them over 30 million meals. Do you know why that is? It's because of churches like you and individuals like you who give with hearts of radical generosity. It's about a church family who cares about the least, the last, and the lost. Thank you. So I'm going to close with these four thoughts. Why should we care about the poor? Number one, because God cares about the poor. Deuteronomy chapter 15 says, but if there are any poor people in your towns when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or what? 
or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of canceling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make a loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why, look at this phrase, I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Folks, when we honor the poor, we're honoring God. The way we treat the poor determines how God will treat us. These principles are directly connected. And this was so important to Jesus that when he starts his ministry, when Jesus gives his inaugural address to announce why he's here and what he's doing, think about the very first thing he says when he announces his ministry. It's found in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's the first thing Jesus says when he announces his ministry in his inaugural address. You say, well, that's, that's probably the poor in spirit. Yes, but it's also the poor, period. He starts his ministry with this. And then in Galatians chapter 2, when the Apostle Paul meets with the pillars of the first church, with Peter, James, and John, Paul basically says, hey guys, any have any ministry tips for me? And they say, yep, whatever you do, don't forget the poor. The first century church leaders emphasize the importance of meeting the needs of the poor. Why should we care about the poor? Number two, because God is an advocate for the poor. Psalm 12, 5 says, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. If God's fighting for them, you can better believe I'm going to be fighting for them. How many of you would like to be on God's side? If this is important to God, it better be important to us. Lost people matter to God, so they better matter to the church. My life mission from now till my last breath is to alleviate suffering and populate heaven. That's what I'm here for. If God is fighting for them, you better believe I'll be fighting for them too. Why should we care about the poor? Number three, because every person on the planet is valuable to God. Lost people matter to God, so they better matter to the church. Where someone lives should not determine whether they live or die. I doubt anybody in here got up this morning and just said, thank you, God, that I was born in Wisconsin. I doubt any person in this room got up and said, God, I just want to thank you today that I wasn't born in Moldova that I actually have an opportunity in life. God cares about justice for those who've been treated unjustly. And justice means we share. Justice means we help. Psalm 58, 10 says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. The English Standard Version says it like this, pour yourself out for the hungry. 
Ladies and gentlemen, these are people that Christ died for. This is not the time for us to say, you know what, that's somebody else's problem. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be the first responders. 1 John 3.18 puts it like this. Our love should not just be words and talk. It must be true love which shows itself in action. Finally, why should we care about the poor? Well, because we were poor and God graciously gave to us. God is saying, if you really knew all the times that I met your needs and gave you over and above what you needed, you would go out of your way to bless other people. I don't want to guilt you into giving this morning. I want to grace you into giving. Remember Zacchaeus? How many of you remember the story of Zacchaeus? When Zacchaeus repented, he didn't go, you know what? I think I've got an extra 20 bucks I could throw in. Zacchaeus said, half of everything I have, I give to you. Half, 50%. When you think about all the times that God provided grace to your life, you can't help but be thankful. You can't help but be grateful and desire to bless someone else. That's it. We literally had nothing, and he literally gave us everything. Freely you have received, freely give. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. This is one that you cannot unhear after you have heard it. It says this, suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need and does not help. This is gut-wrenching then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. Whew. Tony Campolo says, whenever you meet a suffering person, you will find that Jesus is there waiting to be loved in that individual. I pastored for 28 years. We did one day to feed the world as soon as Convoy rolled it out. I think we did it for 18 years. There was a guy in our church who had lost his wife to a drug overdose. He had three little boys under the age of five. He had just walked through the pain of losing his wife. He lost his job because he was trying to help her stay on track before she lost her life. So he's lost his wife, has no job, three little boys under the age of five. He comes to me the week before our one day to feed the world service. He says, Pastor, I've got to be a part of this. I want to make a difference. I don't have a job, but I have an idea of something I could do. He said, if you'll loan me some buckets and hoses from the church and let me use the water spigots, some Dawn dishwashing detergent, and a couple of, of cloths and sponges, I'd like to do a car wash out in front of the church before Sunday. I'll stay out there all day on Saturday and wash cars for donation." I said, no problem, we'll give you everything you need. He spent all day Saturday washing cars out in the church parking lot. I drove up and down in front of our church three or four times that day watching him all by himself. Sunday morning, he literally came running down the left aisle almost as fast as he could run. I've never seen so much joy and excitement on his face holding in his hand $500 cash he had made washing cars the day before. 
everybody can do something. Your one day can change their every day. What is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do? There was a guy in my church who came up to me and said, Pastor, when we prayed, the Lord told me to give, give two days, not one day. Another guy walked up and said, man, I just asked the Lord what he wanted me to do. He asked me to give a week of my salary, my annual salary, not a day. And the last time I did one day to feed the world, one man in our church said, Pastor, the Lord prompted me to give a month's salary of my annual salary to help those who are less fortunate. When you come in a room like this, there's usually two things that people do when they give. They either do it out of logic or they just figure in their mind, you know what, I've probably got this much money I could give right now. And it's all processed to their budget. Then there's other people who give out of emotion. They're just overwhelmed by the need and just want to really go all in. May I encourage you today not to give out of logic and not to give out of emotion but would you be kind enough to take just a few moments quietly before the Lord and just ask him, what are you asking me to do? That's the prompting I want to obey. Because God's prompting plus obedience always equals the miraculous. If you will take the time to say, God, if it's one day, two days, whatever you're asking me to do, I want to hear from you. I want to respond to that prompting in obedience. And I want to watch you do the miracle. On behalf of the 387,000 kids that we feed around the world in 2,100 different programs, I want to say a huge thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Life Church. You've been so faithful, so committed, so generous. wish you could see those kids in person. Thank you. Thank you. Please take a moment this morning and just say, God, what are you asking me to do? I want to be obedient to your prompting. God's prompting plus obedience equals the miraculous. God, I pray right now for each person in this room that they would just wait before you in this moment. God, that you would drop something in their mind or in their heart. That you would reveal something to them. That they would have the joy of knowing the creator of the universe has prompted them. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. On behalf of all of those children around the world this morning. I want to say a huge thank you. God bless you guys. Thank you, Brad.